to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you haven't joined us before, we're passionate about all things internal medicine and helping you become the best tech you can be. We'll be discussing interesting internal medicine diseases, how to work closely with pet parents, and how to become the go-to tech in your practice. Now, let's start the show. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. Thanks so much for listening and making a commitment to learning. I hope everybody's doing well. We we are your hosts. Jordan Porter is me. <laughs> like third person. <laughs> and I'm joined by the wonderful Yvonne Brandenburg. Well, Yvonne Brandenburg is also happy that everybody is here. <laughs> We'll just talk about ourselves in the third person for the rest that's of the episode. That's, that's gonna be the theme of this episode. I'm gonna just leave it because it was funny. Um, I had, I've had half a cup of coffee before I had to do all my running around today. <laughs> like I have not had my coffee yet, so I am feeling it. I'm like, oh, coffee, coffee, yeah. and it's not like I drink crazy coffee, but it's my morning ritual, and I did not get to do it, so. Well, and it's noticeable, like when you don't do it, like, cause I did that the other day where I was like, I can totally survive without a cup of coffee. Like, I don't, it's not like I have anything to do today. Like, and I got such a wicked headache around like 11 Ooh. o'clock and I was like, I guess I can't do no coffee. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. When you, when you have, when you normally drink coffee or other caffeine and then you don't that like wicked detox, you're like, no nope. caffeine headache is freaking killer. Like. Yeah. It's like, I'm always in denial too. I'm like, I'm not dependent on caffeine. I hardly drink it. <laughs> I'm just like, and then I'll go They're one like, day. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. How was your week though? Not too bad. Um, got a bunch of stuff done from work. And then yesterday, um, it was, it was fun. I got to train like an internal medicine doctor locum, um, in my old department. And so I got to like hang out with everybody. And I was like, normally the person that's training you does not have like this great of knowledge about the specific department and people you're working with. I was like, but I worked here for nine years. So, so yeah. she was, she was super cool and she did great. Like she just jumped in and like ran, like we we're supposed to do regular training and, um, she got transferred to patients during rounds. So we were like, nope, training is you're going to train while you're smashing through these appointments. Cause she had like the two transfers, a recheck from another doctor and like two consults. Nice. Just <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I was like, it's your first day go just run. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so I spent a couple of hours with her and, and I was like, oh, you'll be fine. Um, so that was, that was really cool, but I got to see everybody else and just kind of pretend I was still in my old department. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I gotta say, like this week at work's been great. Like I, I'm starting to realize not starting to realize, I've known, but like I really love the company that I work for and like the way the mm. leadership is and just like you know how it's so common in vet clinics to like not communicate <laughs> about like your job performance until you get your one year review and then you're yeah. like you've been holding on to this crap for a year without like actually giving me coaching and like telling me and to feedback. fix it. And, yeah. Yeah. And then it's like, and it's always so bitter and it's just like, blah, blah, blah. But like where I work now, like we do weekly coaching, like at least weekly, like wow. minimally. 
and like we'll pull people a little bit sooner if we're like we see something we're like hey this could have just used a little bit freshening up here like here's where we could have done a little bit better here's what we could have said and it's just so nice um and like my leads are so supportive on like everything I do I'm just like you know I have an article coming out soon and I was like hey can I share it with the team they're like absolutely let me share it so that way it doesn't you know like that way I can like really blast you and I was like okay <laughs> cool oh yeah so much easier when it's not you promoting yourself <laughs> I know that's what I said I was like yeah I don't want to like, feel like I'm bragging but like it's good information like it's a good article yeah and, um you know that you helped edit <laughs> <laughs> it's fine <laughs> It's, it's good information. So it's just like, you know, when you like get to a place and you're like, you know, this is so refreshing, like mm. how things are run. Yeah. 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 And you don't get that all the, like all the time in vet med. And it's like, it's so I've never worked for like, my last job was great. Like I love it. And they're still my family, but like, and they were very much anti-bullying and stuff like that, but there's definitely things that could have been better. About right. the way- I mean, like, well, that's every, I mean, even in unicorn clinics, right? The yeah. quote unquote unicorn clinics, you're still going to have like some issues that come up, but I think it's, it's how those issues are handled that really make it the quote unquote real uh, unicorn clinic. Yeah, it is, um, it is really nice. And I'm sure not everybody sees it that way. Like, especially like if you're just one of those people who just like the job isn't the right fit for you. Like it's not if that's just how it is, like you, then yeah. you don't see it as the way I see it. But like, I don't know. I I'm really enjoying it. I've worked extra this week, but it's like one of those things where I definitely don't mind because I feel mm. like I'm making a difference. Like, and it's nice. It's nice to make a difference when I'm not in clinic. Like it's, it was something that I thought mm. I would struggle with, but to feel like I'm actually making a difference, not being in clinic is nice. That is cool. Yeah. I don't know. This is, and this is like probably like a different episode, but, (laughs) um, you know, it's that, that whole unicorn clinic idea, right. Um, that you just walk into a clinic and it's automatically amazing and you fit in and it's rainbows and butterflies. And, and I think, um, I saw a post just like, and, and honestly, if I, I don't quote me on this, but I think it was actually Liz Houston that, that kind of commented, and she said, you know, this idea of there, the clinic is just automatically that way. And if it's not, you just like bounce because that's what I'm seeing a lot of is like, people are just saying, oh, it's not perfect. I'm out. Like, and there's no effort made. Um, and I think just like with, with anything, right. If you don't work on it, if you don't work on the relationship, it just deteriorates. Yeah. Um, that's what I was and- talking to the supervisor about. I was like, it's so nice because <clears throat> like while I get criticism, like, and like, I get told that I'm doing a good job. Like I always know that there's room for improvement and room for feedback, mm-hmm. like, you know, and it's, and she, she says the same thing. She's like, well, of course, like if there's anything that you want me to do differently or say differently to you, because you, you receive it differently or yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Like she's willing to adjust the way she talks to me about certain things versus the way yeah. she talks to, like, and that's, that's something that like, I don't know. Like people just have the natural gift to do that. Like not everybody can do that. Oh no, definitely not. And it, you know, it's nice if somebody has the natural gift, but it's also something that can be worked on. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think, and that's, and I think the point that, yeah. yeah. And I think the point that the, of like the conversation or the, like the, the comment that was made was 
if it's not a unicorn clinic, when you get there, like what can you and the team do to make it a unicorn clinic for everybody? Mm-hmm. Because it's possible, like unicorn clinics just aren't like born that way. You know, yeah. it usually takes a lot of work and then the maintenance and, and stuff. So it was just, it was really interesting to kind of, you know, think about what we can do ourselves to help promote that unicorn clinic idea. And And I think, I think it starts small. Yeah. I think the way that my job does it, like initially when I came on board, they were doing like monthly to every two week meetings. Like if, you know, to like touch base and like see how things were going and give criticism and stuff. And now we've, we've ramped it up and we've moved to once a week at least. And then like we get the opportunity to like schedule with our supervisors as well to run ideas past them or like talk things through. And it's just nice because it is like my last job was very much an open door policy, like with my boss and stuff like that. And like, this is too. And it's just, it's nice to feel heard. And like, Mm. It's so, I feel like it's so uncommon in the veterinary world, unfortunately, you know, like, cause there's such a, there's such a hard line between doctors and techs, I think. And like still in s- some places. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like it's getting better. I really do think it is getting better. I just yeah. still think that there's still that hard line where like the doctors that I work with, right. With not mm-hmm. for, I work with them. They're yeah. not superior to me. They are not my yeah. supervisors. Like I know as much as them and I can pick their brain as well as they can pick my brain because we have different roles in the vet clinic. Mm-hmm. And it's so nice to work for a company that like sees it that way. Whereas like, I don't like, they're not. There's the definitely, best. there's definitely places where the high and, it, and, you know, especially if the veterinarian's the owner, right. Yeah. Cause that, that, that's a whole different yeah, dynamic that's, at that that's point. Different. Of course he's yeah. higher up than me. Like, <laughs> because, but it's not because he's the veterinary or they I should say they, cause they, yeah. women do. Right. So because they are the owner, that's, that's a different role than you're the veterinarian. When you have an associate and, veterinarian in that clinic, yeah, like yeah. you take, you take the owner out of the equation. The owner is your supervisor. Like he, mm-hmm. they are superior to you and what they say typically goes, but right. like, the associate veterinarians like it's so hard I think for technicians to wrap their brain around the fact that like they're your co-workers they're your co-workers they are not above you <laughs> I mean and, and that's and, and that's a respect thing that's not a that's not anything else and and the reason for that is oh my god this is a whole other episode it's just, it's like, it is refreshing to be in a, a setting such as this. Like I said, my last job was great. I still consider it a unicorn clinic. I consider this job a unicorn job. Like it's, yeah. it's very refreshing to feel that camaraderie of like doctors being my coworkers and that we can pick each other's brains. Like, yes, well, I do think that intelligence wise, like on cases and things like they are superior to like some of the things that I know. Well, they've had different training, right? And that's, <laughs> and that's the thing is like, jobs. You, you, you know, doctors have their doctor training and they have their doctor lens. You know, there's very few veterinarians that have also been technicians. Yeah. And like, we've worked with those doctors that were technicians and it's, and it's a whole different level, right? Like they they understand like what it takes from a nursing perspective to deal with those cases. Right. And, and I think, you know, those, those doctors are rare 
to have both. So most of the times it's the veterinarian with the veterinary lens looking at a case. And then you have the veterinary technicians with like a veterinary technician lens. And it's amazing. Like you get better care, better, better yeah. outcomes for your patients you when you have that collaboration Yeah, and you know, and you know, that's, that's that whole thing that's going around that that's a again soapboxes. I know. And we, really, we really stirred the pot. I think a little bit. Oh my god! Okay. And really, we're not even talking about that today. I was literally just talking about my work and how much I enjoy it. And it just turned into a thing, and like we're just like ah, okay. So apparently, we need to do a whole episode on that. Yeah, I, I really so funny. I think if like I really think that if if technicians could realize like I and for me it was hard for me to realize that like at my last job like. I, we had issues. I talked with my boss about it, the owner of the practice. And he was the one who told me, he's like, she's not above you. You guys work together. You guys are coworkers. You guys have different jobs, roles, but you have to work together. And I was like, yeah, makes sense. But like when, when they, when that doctor would say something to me, I thought I had to do it. And he was like, yeah, like, if you're not comfortable with it, don't do it. I was like, okay. Like, and it, it took that kind of, like, it was at the time, it was a very difficult time to go through because it was something that went against my ethics and like what I knew. Well, it's a shift of viewpoint. It's a shift of viewpoint. Yeah. And, and sometimes you need that and it's, it sucks in the moment, but then like afterwards you're like, you know, like if I would have, that totally makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. All right. To get off this topic. Anyway, I wanted to touch too, like on the rest of my week, Bailey has been, uh, Bailey, my daughter she's a level five now gymnast oh Um, wow and so she's working on level five but she's so basically what she's gonna do she's gonna compete one meet as level five and then immediately score out and go to level six so level five is really just like a half a step like she doesn't do a full season at level five and so essentially she's a level six so she's working on all of her level six skills right now and she's doing baby giants which are great like i posted a video on facebook this morning um where (laughs) She like basically goes around the bar, hits her like hips on it and then comes down. Um, okay. Yeah. A real giant is where you go all the way around the bar, like with your arms up. Okay. Uh, and so she's been practicing that. And it's one of those things where it's like, it's so amazing to see kids do stuff like that. Cause you're like, yeah. Holy crap, like how, and she's, and she'll tell me, she's like, I'm scared. I'm scared to go all the way over. And I was like, dude, I get it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Like you have to rely on your arms staying locked to not like drill your face on this bar while you're going pretty fast. Like, oh man. But it's so amazing to watch. And like, but I get a gray hair. I think every time I watch her get like close to vertical on the bar and I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> you're like, that's my baby. Yeah. But she's doing like front layouts, back layouts, tucks, like everything. I was like, gosh. That's cool. I'm so glad that she found that and that she loves it. And it was like, so a couple weeks ago, she got really mad because she wanted to play with her friends. And she's like, I'm always at practice. And like, I think I want to quit. I think I want to try a different sport. And he's like, are you just saying that because like, you want to oh, play man. with your friends today? Or do you really want to quit? I was like, I'm going to give you 48 hours to sleep on it, figure it out. And if you want to quit, like, we'll try a different sport. And I was like, and like, it took 12 hours before she was like, I, I was wrong. I like, I, I love gymnastics. So I was just mad. Okay. <laughs> friends. So oh, it was- that's hard. Yeah. So she's, oh, and preteens are hard. Like she is. Oh yeah. Vinegar. 
like it's constant stomping and attitude of me going, I swear to God, if you do that one more time, like, <laughs> like is it reminding you of when you were that age? <laughs> no, it's, it's not like that. I was such a, I swear I was such a, are you sure? Yeah. I've asked my parents and like, I remember my childhood pretty well. Like I, I did go through a period where I didn't want to talk to my dad, where I was like, every time he would talk to me, I would assume my dad is not the one to be scared of in like our family. Like it was always my mom. (laughs) But for some reason I went through this phase of like, when I was younger, my dad would like, he would say something to me and I would just cry. I was just like, I can't handle it. It's called hormones, Jordan. (laughs) And so I was like, what did I do? I was just trying to help you with your homework. Like, I don't understand. (laughs) Oh my God. I remember this one time with my dad. It's so funny. He, I I don't even remember what it was, but I just started crying. My dad's like, why are you crying? And I was like, I don't know. And he was like, ah. So it wasn't just me. Uh, It's a a hormones. (laughs) Man, being, being a like preteen girl was so hard. (laughs) And it's clearly hard with Bailey and Bailey and I will argue with each other. And Matt will just walk out in the living room. He's like, can you just, can you guys just knock it off? Like, can you just stop? And I'm like, tell your child don't tell me he's like you're arguing with her like you're 13 and I was like shut up go somewhere else sir uh uh yeah so you need to create that unicorn clinic apparently in your home (laughs) need to work on that yeah I do I gotta find ways to manage the pre preteenness without drinking (laughs) like I'm not a big drinker anyway but I'm just like I can definitely see why moms drink like, <laughs> like I, I understand like it's like oh this is making sense now <laughs> it is I'm just like because I so I ran away and went to my best friend's house like two weeks ago and like ran away for the weekend like to nice. get away from the kids and it's like obviously I missed them but I was like man it's so nice <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's so nice but then like my kids will do this thing where like and they do this every day every day they'll do something to piss me off and I'm like this is so hard. I don't know. Like, I don't know how to do this. And then like 20 minutes later, they'll come up and be like, you know, you're the best mom ever. I love you more than anything. And I'm like, Oh, I love you. And they're like, no, I love you more. And I'm like, damn it. <laughs> like guys, it's so like bipolar. <laughs> like, it's just like, Oh, I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's entertaining for sure. It keeps me on my toes. <laughs> like I literally can never let my guard down. <laughs> like, Anyway, we should probably talk about the actual episode. <laughs> I know, right? Sorry, guys. <laughs> Can you tell that we didn't talk that much this week so you guys get it all? <laughs> I'm sure everybody like can, re- there's a lot of people that can relate to our 15 minute conversation we just had. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Between vet clinics <laughs> and parenting. Like it's, yeah. Anyway, yeah. just we're talking about, do you like my title of this episode? <laughs> it's yes. actually not so we're talking about pythiosis the fungus that's caused by uh pythium insidiosum and it just Ooh, like it's insidious yeah and i'm just like i feel like hermione granger and i'm like pythium insidiosum oh man yeah could you imagine if like you could well it'd be cool if you could wave your wave your magic wand and like get rid of it you could because giving it's probably not a good thing could you imagine what kind of defense that would be if you just gave someone pythium? Like they pissed you I think off. That's mean. Like, cool. It is really mean. We'll talk about why. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm in a mood today. See, it's tell? funny because I've never seen a pythiosis um, patient. Oh, really? Okay, cool. Yeah. So 
this is all my episode because i'm in california not a california well usually it's animals that I've, I've heard of it and they've come to us with it but it doesn't just usually occur there well i'll tell you what here. occurs we'll talk about that in a second i know so pythium um is typically what i call call it but it's pythiosis and like I said, it's a fungal infection that occurs. So the reason why Yvonne's never seen it is because it typically occurs along the Gulf Coast mostly. Um, so Southern United States, kind of tropical E regions, like not desert regions, like where Yvonne lives. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's funny because you do have California on the list and I can see Southern California. Yeah. Because when I was in down in San Diego, it was definitely more humid than up here. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it makes sense. It's closer to I mean it's not on the Gulf of Mexico but it's it's in that southern area where it's warmer I mean it's even in Arizona so it's it's like one of those things where I think obviously it probably started in the Gulf and then travel occurs yeah yeah Yeah. um so it's uh it it's occurs because a mold like or a mold like organism can affect infect the water um So it's most commonly found in water, but it can be present in soil. Uh, But again, most commonly found in water. It's like an algae type thing. I was going to say, if it's not a mold, but it's mold-like. Yeah, it's algae. Oh, weird. Yeah. But not like, have you heard of the blue-green algae that like occurs over here? Uh, Yeah, because it totally blooms over here too. (laughs) Does it? It's like... Yeah, I've only seen one case of it here. It was one of those things where like when it started occurring here, everybody's like, what? What is this? Yeah, no, we we definitely have it off the coast here. Um, yeah. Does it, it's not super common that it blooms, but they'll they're they usually like close the the beaches if yeah. they notice it. So pythium typically occurs in, like I said, waterly, watery areas. So high risk areas include swamps or bayous, um, definitely ponds and lakes. But uh, most common states affected are those that border the Gulf of Mexico. And it's typically acquired by swimming in these areas, not just like walking by them, but swimming in them. Mm. Um, Although it typically occurs on the Gulf of Mexico, it's been found in several different areas, including, but not limited to, um, which I found it was pretty interesting that it's in Japan and Thailand and Brazil and Australia, which I have an Australian mm. doctor that I work with. And I was like, have you ever seen this? She's like once, literally once. And I was like, oh, okay. Interesting. Um, but definitely the Carolinas where I am, Georgia, uh, Tennessee, Virginia, which I feel like Virginia is a little high up there for it, but I could see it because it can be a little like swampy. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> the reason I don't see it is I don't have water. <laughs> I'm like swamps, bayous, and ponds. Yeah, right. What are what are those? <laughs> what is this water you speak of? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it comes out of the sky, but like twice a year. <laughs> like, yeah, mostly it just comes from the faucet. <laughs> yeah. Um. So it can affect the skin, which I found interesting because, like, I've only ever seen it in the GI tract. So it typically affects the GI tract or oh. the skin. Um, and Texas A&M has a really good picture. I didn't use the Texas website for any of these notes, but I was educating my current team on it because I was like, this is amazing. And they're like, well, what do the skin lesions look like? And I was like, good point. And so I found an article. Um, so if you Google, uh, pythiosis skin lesions in dog, you'll, (laughs) you'll find some pretty, it's, 
it's not like any skin lesions I've ever seen before. It's like, um, I've never seen it in the skin. I've only ever seen GI tract effect from pythiosis, but the skin was like almost like Swiss cheesy. Like it was, it looked like, it looked like in this one picture that I saw as a German shepherd, it was a case report. It looked like the dog almost had like just 50 boxes right now because I'm freaking skin. It was, it was bad. Like it, it was, oh, so anyway, um, so what it does though, is it infiltrates and then it forms a fibrous connective tissue as well as like purulent discharge. Um, and then there's eosinophilic granulomatous inflammation that occurs as well. Do you see the picture? Ah, isn't that like, it's brutal looking. I was like, oh. Oh my God. I'm so glad we don't have this here. Do that Texas A&M one. I'm like, ugh. We all put the, can you add? It looks like cancer. It does look like cancer. And it looks like, it looks like cancer mixed with infection, mixed with parasites somehow. Like, oh my God, it's so sad. Can you add that link to the show notes so we can share it? (laughs) I can so typically what I see though, um, when we see this is, um, we'll see like gastric ulcerations. Yeah. That German shepherd is, Ooh, that poor thing. Oh God. It's so bad. It looks like it, uh, it looks like a burn almost like, I don't know. It just looks horrible. Like the block, the block, the bot fly, like portions like of the holes yeah. the holes yeah <laughs> yeah it's crazy everybody who's never seen this is probably googling it right now and they're probably freaking out just like I did <laughs> I know and next time they get a weird skin thing they're like oh my god it's pythium <laughs> uh anyway so typically <sighs> what we like what I see or what I have seen was the gastric ulcerations as well as erosions Um, And what happens within the pet is it eventually will prevent peristalsis because it, it results in like that fibrous connective tissue. Um, So you get a lack of peristalsis and it can affect, so it affects the GI tract, but it can also affect the mesentery. I'll talk about it in a minute. It's, it can be bad. Um, It's typically, it's typically seen in dogs. um, Again, because dogs are mostly the ones swimming in ponds and And it's typically going to be seen in like our common like hunting dogs or field dogs Mm. so um our large breed dogs are affected and and it's thought to be because they hunt and like go in those and they go into those yeah swamps and like i I can't imagine the cat being like yeah let me jump in the swamp and get fit in (laughs) (laughs) it probably smells it and is like oh no it probably smells it from 50 miles away. It's like, oh, right. Right. <laughs> how dare I step my toe near here? I don't know though. Some of my outdoor cats will drink the nastiest water. And I'm like, I just put a fresh bowl of water out guys. And they're like, Oh, I, I like, like this one flavor. over here with dirt in it. It's got That's a true. good flavor. That's true. Um, so the bummer of this disease there's actually this whole disease is a big bummer it's interesting like it's really really interesting to me but it really really sucks so once dogs are affected they don't tend to be very ill until they've been infected for a long time so until the infection spreads 
and like they get those adhesions, they get the like thickening tissue. Um, the skin, as we kind of talked about, will have these like ulcerating nodules that drain and they, they're so difficult to heal. They, they just don't heal because if you've ever worked with any fungal <sighs> case, like it's just ringworms, the only like fungus that I can think of that's like easy to take care of. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Um, so a usually, lot of- usually once a patient's infected with a fungus, it's, it's almost impossible to fully clear it. Yeah. Um, you kind of just get the spread under control, <laughs> beat it back a little bit <laughs> and then keep it under control. Like that's, that's the fungus. Yeah. You basically just slow it down from spreading more and affecting more of the body. Yeah. Like that's such a bummer. So a lot of these patients will present with our typical GI signs of what you would expect when there's going to be like extensive ulceration or inflammation or thickening. So they're going to have anorexia, Mm -hmm. diarrhea, uh, vomiting, weight loss. They're going to have tenismus sometimes or hematochesia can also be seen Mm. if colon is involved, sometimes just the small bowel is involved. Um, And of course we're going to see signs of gastric outflow obstructions too, once it becomes enough. Oh God. Okay. If you look at more pictures, cause I did, um, there's several pictures where there's like, it's obviously like post-mortem, but there's photos of the bowel and it's literally, it looks like a sausage. It's so thickened. Like there's barely a hole oh. in the middle of it. Like there's barely room for anything to move through. It's so thick. It, it looks like it would be cancer, but it's not, it's just like fungus within the GI. And this is why you get biopsies, because if you just start treating with PRED, you're suppressing the immune system, which probably makes it worse. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to talk about the biopsies too, because there's a trick behind getting the biopsies on these too. It's not just simple, like, anyway, so our differential diagnosis, (laughs) of course, there's going to be a foreign body, uh, the way they present, uh, IBD is going to be on the list, gastritis, colitis, Intestinal parasites should be on the list. Neoplasia, of course, pancreatitis, any endocrine disease that shows any GI signs, cough, cough, Addison's. Um, right, right. It's a great pretender. Uh, although Addison's obviously is waxing and waning, this is very, like, all of a sudden chronic. Like, worse. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I feel like I'm talking fast. I must be very, like, hyper today, despite not having a lot of coffee. <laughs> no, you're fine. Um, our diagnostics are going to be our basic workup that we always do for GI cases, right? So we're going to do our comprehensive chemistry. We're going to do a CBC T4UA because we want to rule out everything. Um, especially if we're having skin involvement, we got to rule out thyroid disease. Um, and then we want to do our like GI panel that we typically do as well. And we're, that's likely going to be a little abnormal um just given the because the guts aren't working yeah and then Mm -hmm. for to find the fungus itself there's serological testing cytological testing as well as histological testing biopsy tends to be the the gold standard um there are ELISA and PCR testing that is available and what this does is looks for antibodies or antigen but like I said biopsies are going to be really where we're going to most likely find the answer um, and the biopsy needs to include the submucosa because this is where the organism is my, most likely going to be found. Um, so not just in the mucosa. And then because it's a fungus, sometimes 
the fungus itself can be a little evasive and a little hard to find yeah. in large tissue samples. So you want to get multiple submucosal biopsies. I've seen yeah. it. It's definitely, it seems like it's more like a surgical biopsy than it's very much a surgical biopsy. Like yeah. being internal medicine, every time we saw a case that we suspected Pythium, we sent it to surgery. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's hard, right? Cause it's like, unless you see a obvious area that is a mass like lesion, right. Mm-hmm. then if you biopsy just random parts of the intestine, it's like, well, maybe it's not there, but it could be in other places, which probably makes it harder to find too. Well, and we'll talk about it a little bit here because <sighs> like treatment involves surgical removal of like the affected tissues for the best chance of a cure. So a lot of these patients, if we suspect pythium and given the state of how the bowel looks, a lot of these patients are getting an RNA. So, mm-hmm. uh, they're having a, a large portion of their bowel removed um, because there's a large portion that's affected and thickened. And, um, so we definitely need to remove as much of that, especially if pythium's on the table, like you just want to avoid the second surgery and just do an RNA. But again, depending on the state of the bowel, when you get in there, uh, the surgeon's going to make that call as to just a biopsy or removing that. But again, if you look at pictures of bowel with pythium in it, it's so, like it's like trying to suck peanut butter through a straw like you just like you can't Ew. sorry that was the only reference I could come <laughs> up with in the moment <laughs> oh, that was like the best reference but so gross <laughs> oh amazing sorry guys ruined peanut butter for you this morning uh, like I'm, I'm gonna go make myself a protein shake after this I'm like I was going to say, I might have a PB&J sandwich for breakfast, so it's cool. (laughs) And then you're going to be like, yeah, you're right. I could never get this through a straw. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Anyway, um, so if skin is involved, sometimes amputation is required. Now, if you actually go and look at the picture of that German shepherd, like. There's no way to amputate that. It's on his back. It's on his back. Like, to remove all of that is. (sighs) just unfeasible like it's not yeah like you can remove portions of it but like there's no way to bring the skin together to remove all that no and like graphing and And like second intention healing with that is like such a huge area oh yeah like you'd have to do like a wound vac or something like it'd be horrible if you don't feel like going to look at this picture like it was basically from like a third of the back yeah, it was basically from like the last thoracic vertebrae down to the sacrum. And yeah. then like on either side of the flank. Yeah, it's bad. It was bad. It it was like picture flea allergy and then just throw pythium in it. Like that's how it was like. <laughs> yeah. Um, do my references are on point today. <laughs> like I'm just throwing everything. Maybe you out. should not have coffee in the mornings before we record all the time because these are these are good. I know, I know. It's just <laughs> my brain is working, but I'm not sure how or why. <laughs> I think it's because right. oh like, I didn't have to get up at 3 a.m. this morning. Oh, that's a good point. I actually slept till 6:30 and I was like, woo, <laughs> like, I feel good. Extra three hours, dang. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I woke up at six, like I set my alarm for 7:30 to get Bailey to gymnastics. And I woke up at like it was like 
six eighteen, and I was like, "Damn it! <laughs> like I wanted to sleep more. Like, just go back to sleep. Go back to sleep." But you know, when I you hate can't, that. You just, yeah, no. just can't. I also like made the mistake of looking out the window and being like, "Yeah, but it's definitely around six thirty. Like I could tell by the sun." And yeah, yeah, it was just one of those. Anyway, back to treatment. Sorry. Um. <laughs> so typically, if dogs are like actively infected, which they are because to get rid of this is so difficult. Um, a lot of them might require hospitalization and this includes IV fluid support as well as antifungal therapy. And a lot of the antifungals that are used are things like itraconazole, uh, terbinafine, and then intravenous infratericin B, which is what I've always seen used, um, mm-hmm. as well as in clinic, yeah. um, B. I don't, the first time I ever used amphotericin B, which I find ironic was for a prototheca case, not a pythium case. Like I think I saw the prototheca before I saw pythium, huh. but I've definitely seen a lot more pythium and I've only ever seen one prototheca. Oh, funny. Huh? Yeah. It was cool. Um, I mean, it's not cool for the dog, but I've like, I haven't seen either one of those. So it's cool when you get to like play around with a new drug and you get to learn like what it's doing and like how to like handle a new drug, I think. Yeah. Anyway, so a lot of times Pythium will spread to structures that can't be surgically removed. So as I mentioned, like a lot earlier before all my rambling, Mm. um, mesentery can be involved. Unfortunately, the pancreas can be involved. And typically when the pancreas gets involved, it'll surround like the bile duct. So uh, we all know that there's nothing you can do. Like you can't surgically remove that. No, I mean, you can, you can, you can reroute the bile duct with like, yeah, it's just not good. It's, it's well, not it's something that we normally want to do. And you've already got like, I'm sure the tissues around it are infected. So it's like surgically. Yeah. Well, and realistically, yeah. though, like, it's just not as feasible in veterinary medicine as it would be for human medicine. Like in human medicine, you don't get the option to like not try. Right. Like, yeah. I mean, you do, you can say like, no, I don't want treatment and I'm just going to like live my life out. But like, it's one or the other versus in animals. You're like, no, I'm just going to humanely euthanize. Like it's also like, could you imagine that bill in human medicine? That would be like at least 200 grand to try to like do that kind of explore, removing all that tissue and going through all the antifungal treatments and stuff. Yeah. What is a Bill Roth or something? I think that's what it's called, but yeah, it's yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so long story short, the prognosis for Pythium is pretty grim depending on what it's affecting. Like if it's affecting like that German shepherd skin or um, the pancreas and things like that, if it's now just affecting a portion of the bowel, then you have a better prognosis. Um, a lot of times antifungal medications are given for about three to six months to reduce the risk of reoccurrence. So again, not really like getting rid of it, like surgery is going to get rid of it if it's going to. Um, Mm. but definitely want to stay on antifungals and then abdominal ultrasound is used a lot. Uh, I don't, I don't know why I didn't put this up in diagnostics, but, um, it's used to monitor just like the health of the intestines and just overall organ function. Um, yeah, but this is like long-term treatment stuff, like the recheck ultrasounds to make sure, you know, we got it all. And like the two sides that were resected together, are working. you know, 
aren't all, we're also infected and getting worse. So making sure that we're not getting short bowel syndrome. Listen to last week's episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You like that, that roll around. <laughs> that's nice. That's nice. Um, so yeah, obviously the client communication for this is going to come from a doctor because as technicians, we don't speak on prognosis, but it is pretty guarded to poor. Um, there were numbers put out that less than 10% of dogs are typically cured with medication alone. Um, but like, well, I said, and I think that's probably because of like, at what point are they diagnosed? Right. Cause honestly, it's not like you're screening for this. No, it's usually like an animal starting to have a problem. It's medically affecting them. And by the time it medically affects them, it's usually a significant infection. Exactly. So curing them by medications is almost impossible because now you have a high fungus or high pythium load. Um, and yeah, yeah the just, likelihood of just like incidentally uh, finding it on, like you go in for a bloat surgery and you take full thickness biopsies of the bowel, just because just like you're because. and you find pythium, then yeah, like there's a shot, but like, which I'm yeah, sure I was going to say incidental findings. <laughs> Yeah, it's crazy. Um, another thing to communicate with pet parents is that it is important for these patients to receive like high calorie diets and highly digestible diets, um, just because you want to really counter that weight loss that's going to occur with Pythium. Yeah. Um, and so that, that is really important. Yeah. The other thing too, with this is, um, you know, they do need routine monitoring. So they need to be understand that this isn't just like have a 30 day course of medications by, you know, this is if we're doing three to six months or even longer with most, I don't know, fungus, sometimes we never get them off of antifungals. Um, typically, so as like, as grim as it's going to sound like they typically like their quality of life drastically declines before (sighs) they even reach the end of their course of antifungals. Like it's just, I know. I know. I was like, and part of that too, is like antifungals are not like benign. Like they, they definitely are hard on the kidney and hard on the liver. So like you're having to do rechecks to make sure, you know, you don't have to switch to different medication and it's just, and especially where it's affected. Like if it's obviously skin or something like that, we can't amputate and surgically remove it. Like it is a quality of life thing, like keeping them comfortable, making sure, you know, all that fun stuff. Yeah. So. And with the skin, it's so tough because they're open wounds, like they're draining yeah. open wounds and it's like that they don't, they're going to get secondary infections. And, exactly. Yeah, and it's yeah. just like the quality of life isn't there. So thankfully we have the ability to euthanize patients because as a human, I would not want to go through that. Like, I don't No. I don't think that's fair that we don't have that option. <laughs> like it's, but that's right. a different discussion than a soapbox. I should probably not start on this episode. No, <laughs> I was like, nope. Um, <laughs> Do you know, speaking of like humans, like, is this, is this a zoonotic thing? Like, can we get Pythium from? Not from our pets, but let me do. But obviously like from the environment, but I mean, I just wasn't sure if like, if a pet is infected with it. And like, especially if they have like draining lesions. What if you're <laughs> you swimming with your dog? So yeah, I mean, that's different. So humans can get it. So it's a life-threatening infectious condition and exhibits high morbidity and mortality. Um, right. Same thing, most patients require surgical removal of the affected organ. Um, 
yeah, so humans definitely do get it. Sorry to scare everybody with that, because. But I mean, but but it's like they're getting it from the environment. They're not getting it from like the draining lesion. Correct. Like unless you're sitting there licking your dog's lesions, like you're not. <laughs> Please don't do that. Yeah. Someone someone has asked this on on uh, Google. Can humans get pithiosis from dogs? Um, animals, including dogs and horses, can contract pithiosis from swimming spores. Uh, mm. But it doesn't say anything. I mean, it's a specific question about if humans can get it from dogs. So let me see if I can find the answer. Um, I mean, I guess it's like one of those things, like if you're immune compromised or to have some other, like, I guess there's always that potential, but it's, yeah, don't, don't lick your dog's wounds. Yeah, it says, let's see, uh, people should avoid ponds and other standing water that contain grass and aquatic vegetation, particularly in the hot months. Mm. Um, I don't see yeah I mean I haven't heard of other fungal infections being zoonotic so because scientists are unsure why so few humans have contracted pithiosis in the United States as opposed to animals mm. um, and it looks like people with blood disorders seem to be more susceptible to the infection so well, it occurs sense. a lot in places like Thailand where people are working in like rice fields and might be exposed right. to pathogens for long periods of time. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. Look, we learned some human medicine today. <laughs> I just want to make sure I'm like, Ooh, I know not that I see pithiosis. Right. I mean, no, but like, I'm thinking of all the rivers I've swam in. I'm like, <laughs> right. But no, it doesn't uh, sound like humans can get it as easily as dogs and horses. Interesting. That's crazy. Huh? Which, so I also didn't know that cows like water, by the way. Um, like I was driving. Like you mean like swimming in it or like yeah. drinking? It? Okay. Cause no. I was like, why would they not drink it? No. Like swimming in it. Cause I was driving. I don't remember where I was driving to, but now I live in the country. Right. So I was taking this back road and there was these cows and they were just chilling in this pond, like just loving life. And I was like, what? I didn't know cows. Yeah. Did. Yeah. If they have access to it, they will. But now I'm like, I wonder why cows don't get pythiosis, but horses do. Mm, maybe it's a GI biome thing. Maybe. That's Ooh. a good call. Or maybe they do and it just wasn't reported. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But I bet you it has something to do with the different in their like the difference in their GI tract. Yeah. Interesting. Huh. It is interesting. Like the whole case is interesting, but it really sucks. Like, yeah. So, yeah. anyway, it's the tip of the week. For diagnosis, you need full thickness biopsy. So, not endoscopy. It should be surgical. That's a good one. That's way better than mine. <laughs> I mean, yours is good, but <laughs> someone's going to go and try to suck peanut butter through a straw and be like, I did it. Oh my God. Like, <laughs> you're like let's stop talking about this <laughs> and now for the question of the week has anybody ever seen the cutaneous version of pythiosis because i never have if you have pictures please share um although i feel really bad so maybe not um <laughs> yeah that'd be interesting uh to see and see how it's it funny goes. because i've seen other fungal infections as a cutaneous but that's 
because those are the fungal infections here. Um, I again, we just don't have pithiosis. Yeah, where it, I'm at, it's an interesting disease to say the least, for sure. Like I've seen it a handful of times. It's not like I've seen it a ton. Do you? Um, so this is a question. This is a random question because I was just thinking. Because like for me, like we deal with a lot of coxie, uh, coxie here. Mm -hmm. um, so coccidiomycosis. No. And we monitor with like titers. Is this something that you can monitor with titers? Like if, if. So yes. antifungals. So yes, there is the use of like PCR testing and ELISA testing that you can monitor it with. Um, but that's one of those things where you want to get a pre-sample, right. And compare right. The, like pre-surgery, post-surgery. It's not something that we've done. Like it's, it's not a common thing. Yeah. Okay. Because again, it's one of those things where every time I've seen it, like we'll do the, we'll do the serological testing for it and then we'll send them to surgery for biopsies to confirm it. And then they just like, because it's such a poor prognosis afterwards, they just don't live long enough for us to recheck those values. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Like they don't make it to the three to six months for us to do that. And I don't know if it's like a case on case thing, obviously, like there's probably some dogs that have made it that far, but the ones that I've worked with have not. Yeah. Well, and I think too, for, for, it sounds like with pythiosome, like, because it really does focus on the GI tract. I mean, that's the damage to the GI tract is going to be the problem. Like, mm -hmm. you know, it's not like you can bypass the GI like, not, really. not long term. Um, so that's probably why. Um, versus like if it's cutaneous or some of these other ones where it affects other organs, like you can bypass some of that stuff and give them time to recoup. So yeah. And it, it's different, like if you catch it early enough, but it's one of those things too where like, you know, when we see it in internal medicine and it's just like it's been sick for a while. And so yeah. by the time they get sick, it's already pretty invaded like invasive so then, by then the sometimes it takes yeah yeah so it's just it's it's kind of a lose-lose and um it's kind of sad yeah so hmm. anyway sorry to end on that note we started off pretty good with like nice positivity and then like <laughs> ended with like prognosis is so grim yeah i mean uh, yeah this is just one of those that it is like it's, it's the cool case. Cause it's like interesting, but it it's sucks different. because like it's, it's horrible for the patient. Yeah. yeah. So, all right, guys, that's all I got for you this week. I'm sorry that I was a little bit all over the place, but I had fun. <laughs> so that's what matters. <laughs> that is what matters is that Jordan has fun. <laughs> yep. I am Jordan. I will, Jordan, will talk to you all next week. Oh my God. <laughs> Uh, keep getting your learn on, uh, and uh, yeah, have a good week, dude. Bye, guys. <laughs> Bye, guys. <laughs>Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you like what you heard, we'd love for you to share with someone you think might enjoy the podcast and make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Want to give us a boost? Please leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher and we'll be sure to say thank you. Find out everything about us at internalmedicineforvettechs.com. Talk to you next week. Bye.